Let's welcome Paul Matthews now, Chief Executive of CIO Studio. Hi, Paul. Hello, Catherine. How are you? Really good. Thank you. Catch us up on what is going on with these cyber attacks continuing to hamper Auckland transport and how this is affecting users. Oh, this is the uh, this seems to be the story of the year, doesn't it? It's um, constant ransomware cyber attacks seem to be targeting absolutely everybody at the moment. And you know the reason is that it's uh, it's really big business. There's a lot of money being made from this stuff. Um, in this case, it's Auckland Transport, as you mentioned. It's been hit by multiple cyber attacks over the last few weeks. Uh, the first one, which was about mid-September, so about two or three weeks ago, uh, attacked their hop card payment system. And that's the one that really kind of uh, mucked things up for users of uh, of Auckland Transport. So people couldn't um, top up their hop cards. They couldn't use them in certain circumstances. It just caused a bit of chaos. Um, and uh, data was allegedly stolen. Um, Auckland Transport are saying that there was no, <clears throat> excuse me, customer or payment data breach, though. So uh, essentially, what we're talking about is transactional data, which basically says this hot card was used on this bus at this time, and uh, um, and, and essentially not much more than that, and not not actually tagging it back to individual people. Nevertheless, the attackers did demand a million dollar US ransom. And they said that if they didn't pay it, then that data would be released publicly and cause all sorts of problems for Auckland Transport. Auckland Transport said, no, thank you very much. We won't be doing that. Uh, And uh, what we're seeing now over the last few days is additional attacks, which are more what's known as distributed denial of service attacks. So effectively, they're flooding Auckland Transport's network with lots and lots of fake data and and the hope to kind of bring it down. So these ones are it's quite common um, for this to occur, but they're more they, they they're not a breach per se. It's more that they're just throwing everything they can at them to try to make a bit of an example out of them for not paying the ransom. Uh, so what's AT doing about all of this? Well, they've actually responded really well. So first and foremost, they well, they, they have stated anyway that they didn't pay the ransom. And this is always a tricky thing for any organisation because, of course, you shouldn't pay the ransom. But by the same token, of course, the consequences of not, and especially if they do have their hands on quite sensitive data, can be quite catastrophic. And we've seen that, for example, uh, healthcare services in Australia where people's health records were leaked. Uh, we've seen it in the US. I know you talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but MGM, one of the big um, Las Vegas casino companies, got taken out. Um, um, the uh, Caesars, which is one of their competitors, paid a ransom, and they didn't, or they had some minor inconvenience, but nothing, uh, nothing major. So, so you know, the cost of of not paying the ransom can be high, but the reality is that if you pay it, it's only a short term solution. Um, the only reason these gangs, um, criminal gangs, exist is because Some people pay the ransom, so there's money in it. Um, In Auckland Transport's case, it looks like they've had some pretty good resilience in place. They've got good segmentation on their network. Often uh, when we see um, these types of attacks, um, once they get into one part of their system, they're all over it and they kind of pull everything and stop everything. But it looks like they were limited to one transactional database, which is really good. And and outwardly, at least, it, it kind of implies that they've got a good setup in there. Uh, time will tell, of course. Um, they had good planning in place for when this happened, so they uh, they kicked into gear, um, dealt with it really well, and publicly, at least, they refused to engage. Um, and we've got to, you know, again, I, I'll, I'll make this point again, we've got to remember that 
Auckland Transport is the victim here. Um, these are criminal gangs that are they're attacking them. Yes, it caused some um, disruption to their network. Yes, it caused a, a lot of hassle for a lot of people. But that's not Auckland Transport's fault. That's the the fault of the criminal gangs who decided to attack their network. All right, okay, but good that it does appear to be that no personal data's uh, in their hands or uh, made its way to somewhere it shouldn't be, Paul. Yeah, that's right. And so far, of course, and, uh, you know, time will tell, but certainly uh, what Auckland Transport are saying and what appears to be the case is it's purely transactional data, so not personal data that has people's payment details, credit cards, for example, um, or, uh, or or their personal details that could be used for identity theft or accessing other services. And, you know, this, this is really the big problem with these types of attacks. Uh, you know, we saw that, in, I mentioned the MGM grand or the MGM um, attacks in, in Las Vegas, um, yeah, a lot of people's payment details were taken. People found all of a sudden a bunch of transactions on their credit card. So, so the the yeah you know, the, the impact of the, that type of attack is not just the company that's been you know hit, but it's all of their users and a, and a whole you know potentially millions of people. So, uh, so you know it's good that it was limited to transactional data only. Now, the Australians are proposing to boost their identity app. Is this the equivalent of our real me? Yeah, it is. It's a little bit different, but but think of it in the same line as RealMe. Essentially, their what they call their MyGovID is a single sign-on authentication for the Australian government. So what that basically means is that providing a single um, credential, if you want, a single um, login details that you can use across the government sector, and with some ID um, you know, material sort of tied into that so they can have some confidence that you are who you are, who you say you are, and what they're proposing is actually to big to do a big boost of this and turn it into a full digital ID service. And um, what they're proposing is that service isn't just for the government; it's also made available for the private sector. But what they'd like to do, the end game, is to get rid of all of the different companies and government agencies and things who hold details like driver's licenses and passports. And the reason for that, of course, is because of these attacks that are that are constantly occurring and people's identity documents getting stolen and all of the problems that that's causing. So they're moving from authentication to what's called verifiable credentials. And that's where if you want to go and apply for a bank loan, for example, instead of giving them your identification details, you can, uh, you can um, verify online that you are who you say you are and that the birth certificate is there or the um, driver's license is there and then that becomes sufficient and that's verified by the government um so idea being that you don't have to then pass on your details to every uh, every company that you're working with um will it work wow it's a nice idea um technically from so from a technical perspective it's a significant change that the current framework around their government id uh, or my gov id is around single sign-on so, so it's a massive technical shift um the other part of it which is probably the the bigger challenge to, to be honest is there's no evidence that businesses will adopt it uh so real me for example in new zealand it can be adopted by businesses a handful have but not very many um, and, and they're also starting from a much lower point. So their MyGovID system um, is not well regarded in Australia. And, you know, for example, there's about 12,000 reviews on the Apple 
app store um a vast majority of them one star reviews the average is 1.6 stars which for those who aren't familiar with that system it's it's out of five and that's pretty miserable ratings what about you new know, zealand i remember are... having some techies on a while ago um sort of critiquing it as well uh, how is it from a technical perspective and also from a utilization perspective well, Realme is doing, uh, doing better these days. So it did come from a bit of a patchy start, it's got to be said, um, but it is uh, but it is doing better. And I, I think what's really interesting is um, the government passed a law actually earlier this year, which kind of went through a little bit under the radar, but it's called the Digital Identity Services Trust Framework Act uh, 2023. And what it actually did is create a, t- a trust framework. Um, and what that means is that instead of relying on Realme, it, it kind of outlines what a um, digital identification or verification service should look like, what should be in place, and how they should interoperate. So they've effectively said that rather than Realme being the, the sole and only um, identification or verification service, they're going to open that right up to anybody else who can meet a reasonably high threshold in terms of security and in terms of how they uh, interoperate. So it's a, it's, a, it's a much more sort of forward-looking approach. Um, it opens the door for other organisations who um, assure identity to get involved. And it also means that consumers can choose the identity provider that they actually want to use. So rather than having to use Realme in the future, they'll have the option of, for example, they might use their bank. Their bank might provide an identity service. Um, you know, Facebook, um, um, shutter, <laughs> but Facebook might uh, might provide an identity service. And if somebody wants to use that, they'll they'll be able to. So it kind of opens up that, that, uh, that whole area and uh, really gives consumers choice, which uh, I think is quite good. Um, that is on the radar in Australia, but honestly, I mean, it's many, many, many years away. They've got a lot of work to do before they get to that stage. It's just, it, it, you know, just thinking of all the banking strife that's going on as well, you know, with the banking scams, etc., and just really, truly having confidence in any of this stuff. And we began, of course, talking about talking about a hack. Um, and, you know, is, is it possible to ever have a system like this that's 100% individualised, 100% reliable, 100% trusted? Well, I mean, the answer is no. I mean, that's uh, that's the that's the bottom line. And I think we're living in an environment now where you take all of the precautions you absolutely can, but you have to assume, or if you're a business at least, you have to assume that you're going to be hacked and that the data that you're holding is going to get out there. So, so it becomes, what do you do to minimise that damage and only store the data that you need to store? And that's really what this stuff's all about, is it's saying to organisations out there, you don't need to store personal data anymore. All you need to do is store a token, essentially, or, or an ability to uh, to recognise that an identity has been proven. So when these hacks and things happen, the damage of it is far, far lower. The fallout is, is uh, a lot less significant. So, so yeah, I mean, the answer is no. This, this is the problem is that we're never going to get to a point where there is 100% security around, um, you know, around systems, 100% security around identity. So it's about how do we create an environment where when this stuff happens, the impact is a lot less. Now, Digital Health Week is coming up. What kind of health are we talking about? Well, digital, of course, but how do you define it? 
Yeah, that's right. So this is the last week of November. I think starts on the 27th of November. Happens every year. Um, it's run by an organisation or primarily organised by an organisation called Health Informatics New Zealand. And it really brings together those who are involved in the digital health sector. So effectively, um, technology and health coming together. And, you know, I've got to tell you, there's there's so many opportunities in digital health in New Zealand at the moment in terms of improving accuracy of testing, um, efficiency of testing, but even just increasing the efficiency of the hospital system, primary health, et cetera. So, so this is where everybody comes together and thinks, well, where are things happening at the moment? Um, where are the opportunities? How can we make things better, um, get better outcomes for everybody? Um, there's a really big focus this year, as you'd probably expect, on data and AI. Um, we've talked before about some of the really big AI breakthroughs in health. Um, so, for example, cancer diagnose, um, diagnoses where, uh, where it's really looking for patterns um, and tests and things. Um, it's really, really kind of making quite significant breakthroughs. Um, so the big sort of culmination of Digital Health Week is a, a digital health conference in Hamilton. Um, it's, a, it's a really good event. CIO Studio will be there, but a bunch of others will as well. Um, a really good chance to look at the role of digital again within the health sector and the opportunities that are there. Very good. Uh, and where can people get more information about that? Uh, so that's on the uh, Health Informatics New Zealand website. So that's hins.org.nz. And anyone who's got an interest in this area, yeah, we're not, we're not involved with HINS at all. Um, this is this is purely a plug because it's a really good thing. Um, anyone who's interested in that stuff should go and have a look and check it out. Thanks so much, Paul Matthews, who is Chief Executive of CIO Studios.